If you've been with us here at Alpine Church, then you know we have been in this series on the Ten Commandments, and today we are talking about the Tenth Commandment. Now, even though we're at the end, it doesn't mean that we've all figured this out. It's not like we're all following these things totally perfectly. I was going to ask you if any of you have mastered the first nine commandments, but if you raise your hand, you would be guilty of violating the ninth commandment, which is do not lie. So I didn't want to set you up like that, but I wanted to be real with you. And I want to remind you that the Ten Commandments, what, how are they framed? In Exodus chapter 20, God shows up. And he says to his people, the Israelites, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. And he was literally talking to the people who had been slaves in Egypt. And he said, I'm the God who rescued you, who saved you, who took you through the Exodus. I love you so much. And then God says, here are my commandments for you. And typically when we think of God's law, we think of rules and things we have to do and uh, kind of a burden, but that was not really God's intention. God's intention was to bless His people. And what we've seen in this series is that following the Ten Commandments, especially as Jesus understood them, leads to a life of joy and purpose and brings you closer to God and to each other and to other people. And so today, I want to put the, all that in our minds as we get to the 10th and final commandment, which is perfect for the Christmas season. Don't covet. That's what we're talking about today. Don't covet. Now, the word covet is not a word that we use very often, and so I just want to make sure that it's clear what we mean when, when the Bible says coveting. The word covet means you want something that you don't have specifically you want something that belongs to someone else. To covet means that you are unhappy with the kind of life that God has given you, whether it's your stuff, your job, your family, your spouse, you know, whatever it is, if you are unhappy, if you're not content with what God has put into your life, that means you're guilty of coveting. If you look up coveting in the dictionary, it's, well, in the thesaurus, it's close to words like crave and envy and lust. So it is a very appropriate that we talk about this sin that is sort of a hidden sin. The Tenth Commandment is the most unique of all of the commandments. It's the most unusual of all the commandments, as we're going to see in a moment. But what I want us to understand is this, this idea of coveting is always around us. It's always pretty close to us. Yesterday, I took my kids, my four kids, we went shopping because um, one of my kids needed new shoes. And, like, he, he, like, it's not like he wanted new shoes, like, he needed new shoes, like, he had a hole on top of his shoe, and I was like, you know, I was like, honey, they're gonna, the principal's gonna call us, and they're gonna take our kids away, because, like, there are holes in my kids' shoes, like, we need to go buy some shoes, and so we went out there, and, and I told the kids, hey, we're just buying shoes, you know, that's it, we're just gonna get one pair of shoes, and so we're looking at shoes, and as my son's looking at his shoes for his size, I just kind of glance over to my size, you know, I just glance over... And I'm like, look at those LeBrons. Those are really nice looking LeBrons right there. And then I'm like, you know, I kind of need new shoes for the gym. And then my, two of my other kids tell me that they also need new shoes. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, if I come home with four pairs of shoes, Melanie's going to kill me, okay? That's what I realized. And then I thought, wait, we're talking about the 10th commandment, and I'm about to violate it. So I need to pull back a little bit here. But the, the problem of coveting is always close to us, and that's what I want us to understand. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about, I want to read the 10th commandment with you. I want to talk about what it meant for the Israelites who first heard it, and then I want to talk about what it means for you and me today and how Jesus changes it and teaches us how to live it out. So let's look at the 10th commandment, Exodus 20, verse 17. 
You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this is the most unique commandment of all ten of them in the ancient world. If you look at other ancient cultures that were around Israel, the other nine commandments have parallels. Like, there were a lot of other cultures that had laws like don't commit adultery and don't steal. I mean, pretty much everyone had don't steal, you know, don't… They even had laws having to do with your worship. But Israel was the only culture that had a law that said, be careful about what you think. Be careful about what you want and desire in your head. Be careful about the intentions of your head and your heart. Why? Why was Israel unique in that? Because there's no human king, there's no human government that could ever tell you, don't think that way. I mean, they could tell you that, but they couldn't enforce it, right? You know, there's no human king that could know the intentions of your, th- your thoughts, that could know what your desires are, but God, the God of the universe, can see your actions and He can see the intentions of your heart, what you think, what you desire. And the Tenth Commandment is unusual because it's not talking about actions, it's talking about your desires, what you want. In other words, what the Tenth Commandment is saying is, it's telling us it's, it's not only a sin to steal from your neighbor or to commit adultery, but it's a sin to say, I wish I could have this thing that he has, or I wish I could have his wife or her husband. Just the thought of that, the desire, the sinful desire, is a sin. And that's what makes the Tenth Commandment unique. Now, what God does in the Tenth Commandment, as you can see there, is He takes things from everyday culture, from the Israelites. You know, they're living um, in the times just after the Exodus. They're living in the desert. They're wandering around. And so, He says, think of the things you might, your neighbor might have. Your neighbor might have a house. Your neighbor, neighbor might have, uh, you know, servants. Your neighbor might have a spouse, uh, animals. Don't covet those things. Don't focus on trying to get them. Don't wrap your mind around saying, I must have these things for myself, because if you do that, that's a sin. This list, God meant this list to be illustrative, because in Deuteronomy chapter 5, God presents the Ten Commandments a second time, and He changes this list a little bit. He adds to it, because now the people are no longer wandering around the desert, and so He includes things like fields and uh, the things that you have in a more established community. And I think that's really interesting because what that says to you and me is when we read the 10th commandment, don't read it and say, well, I don't have any servants. I don't have an ox, so I'm good. But we're supposed to read it and think, if God was to write this law today, what kind of attitudes would He say are wrong? Would He say He's not right? I was thinking about that this week, and so I kind of went line by line, and I started to think, how might we violate the 10th commandment today? So I just want to walk you through that. The first line there, you must not covet, you must not covet your neighbor's house. What might that look like today? How might we make that sin today? Maybe you say something, again, not say with your words, but say in your mind, maybe you say something like, man, they sure have a lot of nice stuff, (laughs) or wow, I'm so tired of living in this neighborhood, or man, my house is a dump, (laughs) or how come I can't have that HGTV house, you know? I've had that thought before, okay? I'm not going to lie. How come no one would flip or flop my house, you know? 
It's coveting. It's the sin of coveting. The line, you must not covet your neighbor's wife. How, how might that play out today? You might think in your heart, wow, she's beautiful. Why couldn't my wife age like that? My, why, couldn't, why couldn't my wife look like her? I wish I'd married someone like her. I'd be so much happier if I hadn't married my wife. If you think that way, that's the sin of coveting. On the other side, if you're a wife, maybe you'd say, look at her husband. He's so nice. He's good with the kids. He fixes things. He doesn't just break them. (laughs) Why am I stuck with my husband when there's so many other men out there? It's the sin of coveting. It's breaking the Tenth Commandment. The Bible says, don't covet male or female servant, ox or donkey. What might that look like? Man, my car's a piece of junk. (laughs) It's not fair. I have to spend all my money fixing my lame car, you know? Or maybe you open up Facebook. They're on vacation again? (laughs) They're going to Mexico again? (laughs) They're going to Hawaii? We can barely afford to go to Grandma's house. (laughs) Why do they get to go on all those vacations? Why am I stuck in this loser job? How come my kids aren't like their kids? How come my parents are so lame? These are all coveting ideas that you might have in your heart. And then, in case you can't connect to any of these, God says, don't covet anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Why can't I be smart like him? My wife, my life, sorry, my life would be so much better if I looked like her. Why couldn't I have a normal family? How come I can't jump as high as he can or run as fast as she can? How come... Everything in my life is so hard when everyone else's life is so easy. That's the sin of coveting. And if you think of it in those terms, I think we'd all have to admit we're all guilty of breaking the Tenth Commandment. And so, with that in mind, I want us to see how the Tenth Commandment works in our lives, how it works in our hearts, what God's Word says about it, and then how to, how to put a more positive spin on it and how to avoid this sin. And so, the first way to, do, to, to getting there is to understand this. Sin starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. The Bible teaches us that I don't first sin when I tell a lie. I don't first sin when I take something that doesn't belong to me. I don't first sin by getting just, you know, super angry at someone in a, in a very unhealthy, sinful way. Sin doesn't start with your actions. Sin starts with the heart, what's inside of you. The Bible makes this clear in the book of James, James 1, 14 through 15. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Here's what James is saying. Is he says that inside of us are desires. Now, what he means by desires, we might call sinful desires. We said that sin starts in the heart. Sin is anytime you fall short of God's standard. So, it's really, if you've been here for the Ten Commandments series, it's really easy to define sin. If you ever break one of the Ten Commandments, that's sin. You ever lie? You ever hate someone? You, you ever steal something? You know, you use the Lord's name in vain. These are sins. And there's a, this problem in the human heart where we are hardwired, we have this propensity to sin. So, we have sinful desires. So, you, you and I have this capacity where we kind of want to do what God doesn't want us to do. Sometimes even hearing God's Word makes us kind of want to go against it. That's sinful desire. It's inside of every one of us. We don't have to teach our kids how to sin. That's, that's why. They know how to do it. Just fine. It doesn't matter where they grow up. 
But notice what James says here. Where does temptation come from? Where does the, the, allure, the alluring attractiveness of sin, where does that come from? It comes from ourselves, our own desires. Uh-oh. <laughs> There's not some outside force that makes me sin. No, inside of me are sinful desires. And what do they do? They entice us and drag us away. James uses the, idea, the, the image here of a fishing hook. And he's like, just like that hook, you know, gets in the mouth of the fish and pulls on it and drags that fish and pulls it away into the boat. That's how sinful desire works. You think, oh, I want something. I want this thing. I want this thing that my neighbor has. And they shouldn't have it. I should have it. And then those thoughts, they grow. And then you're tempted to act on them. And you're getting sucked in and pulled in and pulled in. And you can't break free of the temptation. And then what happens? desires give birth to sinful actions. Now you act it out, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is the sort of evil that James is talking about here. It's the evil that's involved in the Tenth Commandment. You start coveting your friend's house. You start thinking about, why should they have that house? They don't deserve that house. You start looking at your house, and you're like, I hate my house. You blame your spouse for, you know, ending up in this house. And you're just compiling sin upon sin. That's what the 10th commandment is talking about. The Apostle Paul, he says something really interesting in Romans 7. The Apostle Paul wrote many of the New Testament books. And Paul is a Jewish guy, ethnically Jewish, grew up in the, the Jewish faith. And he said that I never really learned how to sin until I read the 10th commandment. And I think this is what he means. The first nine commandments, you can say that you've obeyed them by just, you know, not doing not doing the thing that's forbidden. So in other words, Paul's like, first nine commandments, I never stole anything, I never lied, I, you know, I, I honored my parents, at least from his human point of view, he, he successfully obeyed the first nine commandments. But then he said, when I read the 10th commandment, it taught me that sin is not just what I do with my hands, but it's not what I do in my heart. And Paul said, well, in my heart, I've broken all the commandments. And he had to go back, and that's why he said that, that the 10th commandment taught him what sin was taught him how to sin. Because the 10th commandment is all about the intentions of our hearts, which are so misguided, so misled. And so sin starts in our hearts. So what you and I need to do, first of all, is we need to check our hearts. You need to ask yourself, what do I desire? What do I want most? If you think about what you desire the most, it, that is a good reflection of your relationship with God. Good, good reflection of where you are in your pursuit of God. What do I want most in life? What do I desire? What do I spend my time thinking about and, and, you know, just kind of putting in my head and dreaming about? What do I want more of in life? And then you can ask yourself, how happy am I for the success of others? <laughs> how happy am I when my friends do well, do better than me? How happy am I when other people succeed do I go around on focusing on what I don't have, or do I focus on how God has blessed me? That's a great question to ask yourself. Do I focus on what I don't have, or do I focus on what God has given me? These are good ways to examine our hearts. The second thing that the Tenth Commandment forces us to do, it, it forces us to realize this, that coveting means that you're never happy with what you have. Never happy with what you have. The scary part of coveting is that you have this endless desire for what you don't have. 
You, you have this endless desire to, to hold on to the, to the little in your mind that you do have because you kind of live with a scarcity mindset. Think about how coveting manifests, manifests itself. It's the insatiable desire for more. To me, that's very American, right? It's the desire for more. I need more. Whatever it is, I need more of it. I need more money. I need, you know, a newer car. I need a bigger house. You know, I need a newer phone. This phone, I can't update it anymore. You know, it's too slow. I need more. I need more. That's, what, that's, that's, a hum, that's not just an American problem. That's a human problem. And, and that's one way that you might reveal a coveting heart. If, you, if it's never enough, then you have this insatiable appetite for more. That's coveting. Will I ever have enough? Will I ever say, no, I'm good. I don't need to anymore, God. You've blessed me enough. Another way that coveting manifests itself is it's an unwillingness to part with what you have. If you never want to let go of anything that you have and, and be generous to other people, it probably means that you're guilty of coveting. For example, when we show a Missions Week video, <laughs> and you're like, oh, they need $81,000. They have 15%. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> well, I wish I could give, but I can't. <laughs> and we make up all these reasons why we can't give. Now, I'm not telling you how much to give, but I'm saying, like, if you're just like, I can't. I can't because, you know, there's a, and I get it. There's a lot of expenses this time of the year. But if you are just so reluctant to be generous to people, especially people who are in need or to God at His church, probably means you're guilty of coveting because you, you can't let go of what you have, right? This is what we learn as kids. Be ready to share. Be ready to help others in need. But when that opportunity comes, what do you do? Are you generous or are you not? You know, one of the great things about God is God says, I'm going to bless you with so much. I'm going to give you so much stuff. I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be so generous to you. And God only really requires that we give away a very little, you know, really, when you think about it, God basically says, you can keep the vast majority of the stuff that I bless you with and use it, you know, however you want, as long as it's not sinful, but you can use it however you want. It's only pretty little proportionately that God asks you to give to bless His church, to bless the poor. But if we can't even do that, we're probably guilty of the sin of coveting. And another way that coveting manifests itself is it's a constant grumbling over what you don't have, or it's a constant dissatisfaction with what you have in your life. We all have that friend. We all know that person who is never happy with what they have, right? Who always complains about how little they have or how it's not good enough. The question I want to ask you is, are you that friend? Are you, is that you at the office? Is that you in the neighborhood who's always about what you don't have, what you don't have? If so, you're probably guilty of coveting. And look at what this does to relationships. Remember, 10th commandment, this is, this is about your relationship with God, but, but really, practically, it's about your relationship with other people. James goes on to say, chapter 4, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Again, James is saying, look, he, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to Christians in the church, talking to Christians in small groups, in relationship with one another, on serving teams, on set-up and tear-down teams. He's saying, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires, those evil desires that get their hook in you, at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Did that describe anyone's Thanksgiving dinner with the family? 
I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. But as humans, right, we can act that way, right? We've all been there. We've all been, in, we've all been in family meetings, extended family meetings where some of that goes on, right? We've been in neighborhoods and workplaces and hope, maybe even churches where this goes on. And what is happening here? What's happening is that you're mad that you don't get what you want, so you go to war with someone. When you're coveting, you aren't happy for others. You don't think they deserve what they have, and it leads to jealousy, infighting, broken relationships. See, the 10th commandment, it's not just, well, whatever goes on my head doesn't matter. It matters a lot because it manifests itself out in relationships with other people. It manifests itself in relationships with others. So what do we do? If we are guilty of violating the 10th commandment, what do we need to do? Just get off Facebook and Instagram and don't watch HGTV for a while? That could help. But that doesn't deal with the heart, right? How do you deal with the heart? Well, you ask God to give you two things, contentment and generosity, because contentment and generosity are the keys to overcoming coveting. God says there's a two-pronged approach to deal with coveting. The first is contentment. A content person understands that everything they have is a gift from God. A content person recognizes that God is wiser than they are, that God is kinder than they are, that God is more generous than they are, and that God's good plan is better than my good plan. A content person realizes that God has given me everything I need, and if I don't have something, it's probably because I don't need it right now. And if I ever need it, God's going to give it to me. But in the meantime, I'm just going to trust him. A content person says, you know, God, you've, you've kind of handled billions of people on this earth before me. I think you got, you got me figured out too. <laughs> I trust you. I trust you. Whether it's with my stuff, my money, my relationships, whether I'm single or married, whether if I have kids or don't, whether I rent or own, God, I trust you. And I'm going to be content wherever I find myself. First Timothy, the book of First Timothy chapter 6 says it like this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. This is a wonderful verse. It's a verse worth memorizing. What does it mean? It means that if you combine godliness, and by godliness, you know, at Alpine we talk about honoring God with your life. If you're a Christian, you want to live to honor God. And so if you are, are living to honor God, also at Alpine we talk about going full circle living to please God, if that's really what you're doing, if that's one of your great desires is to live to honor God and to please Him and love Him, and you combine that with contentment, the attitude that says, God, whether we've got, a, you know, a, a big house or a tiny little place or, you know, whether my car is new or it's barely hanging on, uh, whether I have the job of my dreams or I have a job that I just have to sort of accept right now and get through it, God, whatever it is, I'm going to be content because I can do all things through you who strengthens me. When you combine godliness with contentment, guess what you have? Great wealth. You're one of the richest people in the world, because it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter all sorts of other physical material things. What matters is that you are living to honor God, and you trust Him to provide for you, and you have something that no one can take from you. You have great wealth. That's contentment. And the other quality that God puts, tells us to put with contentment is generosity. Generosity is, is how we live our lives. Contentment is the attitude that God wants us to have. Generosity is the action step 
with the stuff we have. In First Timothy 6, it goes on to say in verse 18, speaking to people like us, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. You see, this, is the, this verse is talking about generosity. It's saying that people who have stuff, who have means, who have some measure of wealth, and I would say that the vast majority of people in this room have more than the vast majority of the world. If, if you find yourself in that situation, you know, then part of what God has given you, He's given so that you would share with other people. We just talked about this recently. We talked about don't steal. We said there's three ways to look at stuff. You can look at stuff this way. You can say what's yours is mine. That's called stealing. And if you do it, you end up in jail. So that's not good, right? <laughs> what yours is mine is stealing. If your attitude is what's mine is mine, everything I have is mine, I'm going to do what I want with it, I earned it, I deserve it, I need more, what's mine is mine, that's selfishness. And that's not honoring God. But if you say what's mine is God's, and you recognize that everything is a gift that God has given to me, that is the attitude of generosity. And that's what God wants for us. Contentment and generosity. Generosity leads people to say, I'm going to take some of what God has given me and I'm going to give it to stuff that matters. I'm going to donate to Missions Week. I'm going to donate to people who are in need. I'm going to donate to God's church. I'm going to donate to the future of Alpine Church Syracuse so we can have a building where hundreds and thousands of people over the years can come and put their faith in Jesus and, and we can change the trajectory of generations of families. I'm going to use my resources, my stuff to do that. That is generosity. And what you find as you become generous, as you give away, you find that you don't have less, you have much more of what really matters. You have great wealth. Now, let me just close with this. You might be here today, you might think, okay, well, wait. <laughs> I'm just supposed to trust God with everything? I'm just supposed to say, okay, God, uh, you know best, and uh, I I'm just going to trust you, and so even when money's tight, I'm going to give, and I'm not going to worry, and I'm going to learn to be content. Like, how can we really trust God that much? And that's a very fair question. How can I trust God that much? My answer is the cross and the life of Jesus. You see, the, the, the message of Jesus, right? We're going to celebrate Jesus coming to earth, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Himself. He came to earth as a baby, but He grew up, right? Same Jesus from last week we talked about right, in the video. Not multiple Jesuses, one Jesus. <laughs> he grew up, lived a sinless life, but then at the end of His life, He died on the cross, and He died on the cross to pay for our sins. All those times we've fallen short of God's standard, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he died for my sins, he died for your sins. And the Bible says that's because you and I can't pay the penalty for our sin, but Jesus can, and he did. And if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and if you believe that God raised him from the dead, you can have forgiveness of sins. You will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You can trust that when you die, you will enter into heaven. You'll enter into eternity with God and his people for all time. And if you can trust God with your eternity, I think you can trust him with today this month and next month and next year. And when you begin to do that, you begin to see life through a different way. It's not about getting, it's about giving. It's not about wanting and being frustrated and being mad and angry about what others have. It's about generosity. It's about contentment. And it's about loving other people. 
And that's what God wants in the Ten Commandments. He wants us to love Him, love others. That's how Jesus interpreted this whole thing. And so I want you to imagine what it would be like to live a life where you say, okay, God, I'm going to not take a life that is about what I can get, but it's about what I can give and how thankful I can be for what you've blessed me with. That would be a wonderful life to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for exposing the problems and the sins we have. And God, I pray that just for everyone here, whatever of the Ten Commandments, Lord, that you have really tried to speak to them through, God, would that just be clear to them right now as we end our study? God, I I just pray that we wouldn't walk away from this time and think, wow, this is really interesting information, but we would see in our lives something that you want to take and transform and touch and heal and change inside of us. God, may we say with David, the psalmist, I delight in the law of the Lord. And on his law, I meditate day and night. God, would we rejoice in in your law as we see it as the way to love you and love others, God. We thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.